Good morning. How's everyone doing? Welcome to Resurrection Church. Hello to everyone watching online. Is it a little warm in here now, or is it okay? Because <laughs> it was cold before. Great worship. A lot of like a good old songs. I like it. Some hymns. Yeah, so... So, as you guys know, uh, we've been we have been going through the Book of Hebrews, and we've completed ten chapters. And then Christmas came. We we did some Christmas messages, and then we're taking still a pause. We'll come back to Hebrews in a few weeks to finish the last three chapters. And we're doing a little series on principles of ministry, and sort of this is an opportunity for me to kind of share what I think are the philosophy of ministry that I see in the Scripture. You know things that I think are important, and these principles aren't in any particular order. Uh, so, uh, like this one could have been the first one, but it wasn't. So the first week we did, uh, the first principle of ministry was uh, servant leadership. And then last week we did uh, the emphasis on grace. That's another principle. And today is a very important one. These are all important. Uh, and that is, the third principle is the centrality of the Word of God the centrality and priority of the Word of God. Now, this is like a no-duh type of message. Like, we all know this, you know, but this is sort of like a, an official statement of how important it is that the Word of God is central to what we do. And it already is central to what we do, but as a, uh, an affirmation or a reminder, you know. And uh, there's, there's, you know, churches and ministries that kind of say uh, that we're, we're all about the Word of God, but, and, and they say it up front, but then their practice is completely different. So, but we do that. We take it seriously. We study it verse by verse through tra- through books of the Bible, and and we try as much as we do to um, to always use Scripture to point to hey, here's found in Scripture what we're doing, or an idea, or, or principle, or verbatim here. This is what we're doing. They did it there. We'll do it here. You know, and so. But I think it's so important, and, and the the Word of God has has been central throughout you know church history. You know, um, I mean, it was it was central to Christ. You think about Jesus and his ministry is the scripture was central to everything he did. I mean, he begins his ministry in Luke chapter 4. He reads from Isaiah 61. He says, well, go there. Okay, I, I, we're going to turn some pages. You guys good with that? Okay, we're going to turn some pages. So like Luke 4, which Luke 4 and Isaiah 61 are kind of like the key verses of our church, right? Luke 4, he begins his ministry with these words. He reads in verse 18, he's opening up the scroll, he reads from Isaiah and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Then he closes the scroll and he says in verse 21, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And you find out in Jesus' ministry, everything he does is a fulfillment of scripture or was spoken of by scripture and he's just doing what the scripture foretold he would do. Um, I mean, there's you could just go through the gospels and find out many times when he's talking, say, with the Pharisees, he says, hey, the scripture says the 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 stone that the the stone builders rejected became the chief cornerstone, and he's like, "I'm that cornerstone, so to speak, you know, or um when he's talking after the resurrection, he's talking with two guys on the road to Emmaus, and he's on that 
what is it, six miles? I forget how many miles it is. And it, he, it says in Luke chapter 24 that he began to explain them from Moses and all the prophets, the whole Old Testament. He's pointing to work, Scripture pointing to him. And his very life fulfilled Scripture. The Scripture was central to what he did. I mean, he's the Word and made flesh, okay? So he's not divorced from the Word. But the point is, it was central to his very life. And I could go on. There's, there's multiple places where it talks about how what he did was done according to the Scripture, uh, how he was handed over, how he was sold for several pieces of, 30 pieces of silver, how everything he did was central. To, the Word of God was central to what he did. That's, that goes without saying He's the Word, okay? But then the early church. The early church was committed. It was, the, the Word of God was central and prior, it was a priority to the early church. Um, it was, uh, I mean, you go to Acts, so like say, Acts chapter, Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 2, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship breaking of bread and prayer, apostles' teaching, scripture. But Acts chapter 6, look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Bless you. In Acts 6, uh, there's an issue where there isn't enough food going around to some of the widows, and they're like, what do we do? And, you know, we want to make sure that they're taken care of. And uh, they said, well, select some people, some, some brothers that can help do that. These are the, few, the first deacons to help do some practical stuff. And, and the apostle said this, but we, verse 4, Acts 6, 4 says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It was a priority to them. You know, they took it seriously. Hey, we're, we're disciples, but yet we need to be in the Word. Because we need to make sure what we're saying is accordance to the Word of God, you know. And look what happens as a result of this. They, they chose some men, including Stephen and others. Um, in verse 7, look at verse 7. And the Word of God kept spreading, and the number of disciples continued to multiply greatly in Jerusalem, and a great number of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Because the disciples were able to focus on the Word of God, and then there were some practical things that happened. I mean, the, the deacons did that. That the ministry grew. They knew that they were had a focus on that. You see the first sermons in Book of Acts, Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter two, right? And Peter gives a sermon that quotes from Joel two, Psalm 16, 16, not sixteen. My brain is not working right now. Joel 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 110, Psalm 132, 1 Samuel 7. He's quoting off from Scripture, and you don't have to go there. It's Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit, Pentecost is given. His first sermon is full Scripture. Stephen, in Acts chapter what? Where is he? Where is Stephen at? Acts 7. His, script, his sermon is like a lesson in Old Testament history. It's all Scripture. It's all founded on the Word of God. Everything he said was like, here's what the Scripture is saying. And he gets to his point and he said, hey, the Israelites rejected God's Word, and so are you right now by rejecting Christ. And they, went, they got mad at him and he stoned him. But it was all Scripture. It was central to what he did. This is, this is obvious stuff. We'll get to some of the other things that happened. It is central to Paul's teaching. I mean, the Apostle Paul, I mean... He says, go to Acts chapter 20. We'll go to Acts 20. Paul is meeting 
with uh, the Ephesian elders. I think it's Acts 20. Yeah, Acts 20. And he's, you know, he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem and eventually being handed over and, and uh, tried and kind of, you know, he's going to lose his life eventually. And, but he goes and he's, he makes a stop in Ephesus, or he actually he meets the, uh, the, the Ephesian elders meet him uh, on the way there. And he's warning them, he's telling them about his, his love for them and his, his service to them. In Acts chapter 20, he says, uh, uh, verse 18, You yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then skip on down to um, verse, uh, um, verse 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I, verse 27, did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel or purpose of God. Paul's like, I, I was with you and I made sure I told you everything according to the scriptures, right? Um, in Acts 17, go to Acts 17, um, Paul is in a place called Berea in Greece. I've been there. It's, it's in the northern part of Greece, if I remember correctly. And he says that those in Berea, look at verse 11, 17, 11, Now these brothers in Berea were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with eagerness, but then they examined it, the scriptures daily to see if whether things are, are so. So Paul is teaching, he's teaching principles, from, he's teaching about Christ, and they're checking it out. Is this founded on the word of God? Okay, those are, that's a good church folks right there. See, not everything you hear that has a Christian label is truly Christian. Not every single book in the bookstore that has, hey, I'm I'm Miss So and So, and I wrote a book about da da da, how to be a better housewife in Christ. And it's like, you know, you gotta you gotta you gotta put on your 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 gospel filters, you know, and 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 just because it has a Christian label doesn't mean it's truly Christian. That's like we have to know the word of God. And I'm preaching to the choir, and that's okay. The God, the choir needs choir needs preaching too sometimes, and so do I. And just everything we do in this church is found on the word of God. We tried it, right? You know, as much as possible. And we want to honor God's word. We don't worship God's word. So people say, oh, you guys just worship the Bible. No, we worship the God of the Bible. We so want to know what the, what the Lord is saying that we're going we're gonna to take some time to, to study it. And, you know, we may have different interpretations of certain texts. We'll talk, how does that, you know, we try to, our best to really to do that because we're hungry to really want to know the truth. And Paul, he, um, he commends these uh, uh, these uh, people in Berea. That's why he tells uh, Pastor Timothy, go to First Tim- Timothy four. Go to First Timothy four. Um, Timothy's a young pastor. Um, I don't know how old he is. Maybe he's a teenager. I don't know. Maybe he's early, early young adult. But he's younger, and and he's uh, and Paul. Can you imagine having Paul as your mentor? Oh, come on. I mean. I mean, can you imagine? And that was, you know, if he had cell phones back then, what do you think about this, Paul? And, and, and Paul is pouring into this man, young man's life because he is shepherding a church um, that, you know. And so he says in, in 1 Timothy uh, 4, <clears throat> he says, Tim, verse 13, um, he says, Until I come, 
give attention to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation and teaching. He says, give attention to this. These are your priority. That's, it's the Word of God. Not telling stories, not telling all kinds of not other stuff, but to the Scripture. Now here's my, here's, I'm going to just say as a commentary, and I don't, this is, this is holy ground in the sense that until we have mastered the Bible, or rather, until we've been mastered by the Bible, we ought not to find another book to teach or another author to, to present, right? You know, until we've, we, until we've, until we've mastered this or been mastered, and, and this is, okay, none of us are there, right? I mean, we're, we're until we've, there's no reason to go away from this. Amen? I mean, it's a sad thing when you have, I don't want, uh, some, some preachers nowadays are kind of like unhitching themselves from, from the Bible. Say the Old Testament's not relevant anymore. There's a pastors that sell a lot of books and have a lot of huge churches. Oh, teach us about this philosophy and that philosophy. And it's like, have you mastered this? Has this been so, are you, if, as Spurgeon said, if you bump a person, are they going to bleed Biblon, you know? Is that, is that come, is it so thoroughly in, in, entrenched in you that now you can say, I graduated from having to need the scripture? No, you haven't. <laughs> Never. Paul was committed to it. Jesus was committed to it. The early church was committed to it. He says, he says, give attention. And then go, go to, um, Saint, we're in First Timothy, right? Um, he says, um, I lost, oh, did I, hold on here. Lost my place here. Where did I go? I was in First Timothy 4, right? Yeah. In um I know I, I wrote down the scripture and I wrote down the wrong reference and I know um this is embarrassing. But I'm human, okay? I'm not Jesus, okay? I know okay I think it's in second Timothy. He encourages Timothy, oh second Timothy he says, Don't neglect or gift him. In 2 Timothy, he's writing to a discouraged pastor, Timothy, who's wanting to give up. He's discouraged. He's, he's kind of like, you know. Where am I at? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was there. I just, why did I write down that? Yeah, don't neglect. Okay, now, I'm, uh, where am I at? One four eleven. I do have a holy Bible in my hand. Oh yeah, verse fourteen. <laughs> I'm looking at verse. <laughs> Take pains in these things, right? Um, yes, be absorbed in it. I, I, for some reason, I wrote that. It's no, I had the right ref. I had the wrong chapter down. You get the point. And then Second Timothy, he does encourage me. He goes, you know, stoke a flame that that gift was in you because you're discouraged. He says, listen, don't give up, Tim. You know, um, focus on teaching God's word. It's interesting that even the Old Testament, 
the word of God was central. Like when a king became appointed, he had to write out the entire Torah and read it and have his own copy. Like he couldn't go to Barnes and Noble and buy, you know, a, a Bible. So he had to write it out by hand. And something about writing out scripture, you know, you write it out, you're seeing it, you're, you know, it becomes more personalized. And then he had his personal scroll and he was supposed to, according to uh, Deuteronomy 17, it says that he'll write a copy of the law for himself and it shall be he'll read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen and not turn aside from the commandment right or, right or left. So, so there was, it was central, even in the Old Testament. Now, why is this important? This is like a no-dub message, but why is this important? The problem is that, is that many times, and, and, and Paul even hints at this, that the drifting away from that just t- starts happening, right? It starts that, that, and I don't want to, God forbid that our church would ever do it, but many churches steer, steer away from the Bible. Or they, they, they get away and they have this, this sort of, we'll take a little bit of ideas from the world here and add it to the Bible and package it up and say, it's Christian, Right? Um, or they'll just completely reject the authority of Scripture. They'll say, you know, the Bible's full of errors, and it's not really inspired, and you can take some parts of it. And I mean, um, if you're at a church or at a ministry that, run, flee, go to get out of there, right? Um, I mean, we, we hold, read our doctrinal statement, we hold to the infallibility, inerrancy, Inspired. I mean, all the Bible is God's word. I and mean, even Jesus says, not one jot or tittle. Those are little dash marks in the Hebrew language. They're kind of like this real small, like apostrophe, you know, like a little, a little part of a, of a letter. Little ones. You know, not, not one will pass, pass away. Not one will, will be done away with. You know, it's, it's all. I mean... And so you have some churches and ministries that are sort of like, well, it's not really God's, God's word. And what you're doing is then you're walking on, you're, you're trying to walk on very shaky ground and you're going to fall. And if this is, this is the foundation of what we do, we take it seriously. And what happens is that a little bit like, did God really mean that? Did he really say that? Is that now true? Is that these doubts come in, and then you begin your foundation is oh, doesn't take much, right? Why is this so important? You know why? Because lives and souls are at stake. I don't do this because I just want to hear myself talk, right? I I I, I personally I ran. I I was so afraid to do this kind of thing because the the responsibility is so great. And it's not me, it's God's word that does the work, right? But here I'm, I'm, I'm standing trying to present and I realize eternity is at stake for some people, for all, for all of us actually, right? That's why we, just, we don't take it flippantly. We don't say, well, oh, you know, I think I'll have this, I have a new idea that, it's like, no, no, okay, is this a new teaching that you just started brand new and none in church history? No one's ever thought of this before? That's why I, personally, I, I like to read dead people. <laughs> Older people that had been seasoned in theology and doctrine 
And I'm really leery of a lot of living authors. Not, I mean, I, can, I have filters I put in because if somebody says, I have this brand new teaching and the Lord has revealed to me. By the way, revelation has stopped. Okay, it stopped with the last apostle. You might get new illumination or insight. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes to understand in Scripture or gives you insight into the truths. That's not revelation, that's illumination. Okay? There is no new revelation going on. It stopped with, well, I'm hearing in this case, revelation. That's it. It stopped with it. I pray that God opens our eyes to give us new insight or see new things. I mean, we wouldn't be here unless the Holy Spirit opened Martin Luther's eyes and said, the just shall live by faith. Ah, he was reading scripture that set Martin Luther free, right? Here's this monk who wants to atone for his sins and he's begging and he's punishing himself. All the things that scripture said Christ has already done for us. So why are you adding to that? And it's in the midst of doing this that the Lord opened his eyes and said, the just shall live by faith. And he was always there. He was in the word. He was there, but God opened his eyes and he understood and that it set, uh, it, set, uh, it set the world on a different trajectory. So that's why lives are at stake. And he tells Tim, Paul says, Timothy, he preached the word, be ready in season, out of season, reproof, rebuke, rebuke exhort with great patience and instruction. And then he says in 2 Timothy 2, be diligent to present yourself approved for God as a workman who does not, be, does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Paul, so James says, let not many of you become teachers. Paul says that God has gifted, you know, given the church pastors and teachers. No, when you, the word of God is a double-edged sword. So handle accurately. Why? Because the double-edged sword could be a dangerous thing. If, you don't, if it's in the wrong hands, you can, you can, you can mess people up. So he says, now, be, be absorbed in these things, these things. Pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to your teaching. Try to handle the sacrifice. Well, we take it. We take it seriously. We want to approach it that way. I want to give you some problems that happens, uh, like five or six problems that happen when a church drifts away from the Bible. This is not my main section here. I'm just going to give you some problems that are happening. And you'll see, you can attest to this in real life. Pro- what are the problems that happen when a church drifts away from the Bible? The first problem I see is that there's an elevated view of man. Then, When the scripture is not viewed as inspired, infallible, and have authority, and it's kind of, kind of, you know, hodgepodge of thing. Then what happens is that man is elevated in their thinking. Why? Well, you're not as sinful as the scriptures say. I don't feel that bad. I'm not that bad. So the man becomes elevated in their view. We can do great things. The problem really isn't that bad. Sin isn't, isn't great. Oh, those people back in those years were wrong, but now we're we can solve our own problems. That's an elevated view of man. We can take a little bit, we can choose what parts of Scripture to apply and, and take, and then we can add our own ideas and improve ourselves. Right? Man it becomes elevated when the Scripture is gone away from. Essentially, it becomes a man centered religion. Secondly, it is a diminished view of God. Man's elevated in that case, and then God is brought down. God is no longer highly exalted and utterly different. He's now like us. Now, okay, in one sense, Jesus Christ is like us because he became flesh, but without sin. (laughs) He doesn't have a sinful nature. 
He is God. He's God and man at the same time. Let's, but in the sense, now God becomes reasonable for our reason and, and almost manageable and, and able to be changed and arm twisted and, you know? That's called idolatry, for one thing, because that's not really God. But in a, when you have less of a view of Scripture, then man becomes higher, God becomes lower. He's not as powerful. He's not as relevant. He's this old man. He's 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 kind of you know we have these these distorted views that happen. He's not known, and the Bible reveals the character of God. When you go away from Scripture, it's like well, then you just bring your own ideas of what God's like. Oh, I feel like He's like this. I don't care what you feel. What does the scripture say? Right? What does it say? He's high and exalted, right? So man's view, the view of man is elevated and when the scripture's gone away from him, and God is made down here. It goes back to the garden, right? You'll be like God and now you'll be like, no, this is... Thirdly, the first one is... What the problem that happens when we when a church drifts away from the Bible is elevated view of man. Secondly, diminished view of God. Thirdly, a diminished view of the cross and the atonement of Christ. Because if man is not as sinful and God is not as holy, then the cross is unnecessary. Then Christ really didn't have to die for his sin. There's churches that teach that now that teach that the atonement was not necessary. I mean, I want to be like, where did you get that? Well, because you went away from the, you went away from the Scripture. Because you didn't want to admit that you're, just a, you're as sinful as you are, and God is holy as He is, and, that, and it was necessary that our sin was offensive to God, and Christ was the only reason, only pathway, only solution was His death on the cross. So they have this, um, this twisted thing that, you know, Christ's atonement was not necessary and the cross is unnecessary. And Christ now becomes an example then. Not a substitutory, a, a person who substitutes, you know, for us, like he's in our place and his blood was in our place. In that case, he's just an example to follow. He's on the cross and he says, well, for all I forget. Yeah, he, he is an example. We are to follow him, but that's all it is to them. It's, he's just an example. He's not the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what happened. That, to me, that's basic. Theology 101, we know that, Christianity. But to get to the point where you're so twisted to, now to, to have these kind of ideas is because you've gone away from the Scripture. You think, and the reason is because you th- these churches think that Scripture is not authoritative and not inspired. It's full of errors. If you start with that, your foundation, you have no foundation. And you'll live your life with that, and, you'll, and the, re- the result will be disastrous. Fourthly, it results in a, and, and this is this is, it results in, and this is these are all these are logical, but in, it results in non-biblical and potentially destructive views coming to the church. So, like uh, Acts twenty, are you guys still in Acts, or did I leave you in Timothy? Go back to Acts twenty. Acts twenty. Acts 20. And I have this, oh yeah, Acts 20. What, what am I, 29, watch this. This is Paul. Paul, again, uh, talking to the Ephesian elders. Remember he had said, you know, he was, he's been with them, he's declaring them 
everything. Verse 20, um, 29. Well, verse 28, 20, 28, Acts 20. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made ye overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves, not literal wolves, but false teachers will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. He says, be watchful, remembering that day and night, night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. I mean, Paul recognized the, the potential danger of the false, of false teaching coming in. It's so subtle. I mean, this happened in the book of Galatians. One of Paul's earliest letters was to Galatians. And Paul says, hey, hi guys, grace and peace. What are you guys doing? You're leaving the, the gospel I preached to you? The gospel of grace? Some people came in and said, hey, you have to be circumcised. You've got to follow the law in order to be saved. He goes, no. I mean, Paul, that was when Paul's alive. And now Paul's leaving the Ephesians. The elders say, hey, there's going to be these kind of people coming in. And if Paul was warning him for years with tears, begging them, warning them, hey, stick to the scripture. How much more? I mean, today, you go on YouTube, you go on, what's the other, uh, what's the... TikTok, I've never seen talk, TikTok, you know, oh, people are making videos, you know, Christian videos that are full of garbage theology. And people don't know any better. That's why you come to church and you sit under, wherever church you go to, you sit under teaching, uh, that teach the word of God. You don't get your church by watching some guy who does a one minute video, seriously? You come in and you... You be a part of the body, and you sit, and you and you have shepherds shepherding. You have, you know, you kind of, you know, just really. Is that what God calls you to sit on YouTube all day and watch pastors? Sorry, I'm. Am I preaching now, or am I, <laughs> am I meddling? You guys are here. I'm not. I'm. You get what I'm saying, right? If it results in the elevated view, man going away from the Bible and diminished view of God, diminished view of the cross and potentially destructive things coming into the church. But even Peter says, beware of false prophets that rose among them, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even deny the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. That's why, I mean, be in the word. If I say something that's, I come to him and say, what do you mean by, where's that? You know, hey, do that. That's, that's good. You know, I might say, you know, I misspoke or I, I got the principle here. I got that. We can, you know, that's okay. You know, God forbid them, there's pastors in churches, they're untouchable, right? They have the entourage of security in front of them and they <laughs> preach and they go disappear and then you can never talk to them, never, hey, what do you mean by this or help me understand this scripture? Our, girl, our, our purpose here is to, to grow in the word, right? And grow in the grace of God. Fifthly, the fifth problem is when a church just away from the Bible, it results in lives being lived out sinfully because if not according to Scripture, it's according to their own ideas of what's right and wrong, according to their own desires. So like sin becomes redefined. Oh, 
that's not a sin anymore. That lifestyle is no longer a sin because I feel it's different. I feel God's so gracious that, really? Are you going to stand before God and say, I lived this particular way and I didn't think it was sin. And God says, what did my word say? (laughs) See, here's the thing. Because it's written down, I think when God decided to write, and you know, when he wrote the first Ten Commandments, he wrote it with his own finger on you know, granite or whatever the stone was. I think it was granite. It was like, it is now written. Jesus says to the devil, it is written, right? right? So when it's written, it's not just some ethereal thought out there. Ooh, you know, it's mystically sounding. Oh, it's actually in black and white, right? Yep. It is written. So when it's written, it's like, now it's official. Now everyone is a witness. The devil, the angels, everyone say, okay. Now even the devil knows the Bible. And he's a, he's, he's a slick Bible guy, because you know something? Uh, if he wasn't, when he's tempting Jesus, and Jesus responds, it's written, and then the devil comes on, and he goes, hey, throw yourself off from this, the, the pinnacle of the temple, because it's written. He will give his angels charge over you. Hey, you're right. That does say that in the word. I guess, and Jesus is now time out. That verse does not apply to jumping off temple p- pinnacles, you know, or buildings. Uh, there's another word that's, that's, there's a priority here. Don't test the word, the Lord God. That's so subtle. That was Jesus. Now, that's Jesus after 40 days of fasting. Now, I'm after some of us, after 40 minutes of, of having not food, or four, I mean, we can't last half a day, you know. We turn into a, a different person. How many of you guys get hangry? Yeah, you know what hangry is. 40 days of being hangry. He's not hangry. And if the devil's able to deceive a third of the angels who've seen God, oh, I can just manage on my own? No. <laughs> Lord, you know. That's why when uh, the Apostle Paul records that Jesus gives gifts to, uh, to the church, he gives, uh, he gives pastors and teachers and other evangelists and things like that. And he gives for building up the body of Christ. And it says in Ephesians 4.14, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. That's why the Bible is central to what we do. So it was central to Jesus and the early church, the apostles. And if you go away from the centrality of Scripture, there's significant problems that happen. Then what's the benefits then of teaching the Word of God? These are like no-doubt points I'm making, okay? These are things you guys all know, but I think by way of reminder. And I have a bunch, and I don't know if I'll finish, but if I do, great. If I don't, let it be that uh, God's honor. By the way, one thing I realize... You know, well, first of all, I'll just give this. I'll give you this, okay? First benefit, okay? Just I got like seven of them, so let's just... You guys take notes? Yep. Okay. If you don't take notes, that's okay. I can give you my, my, my instrumentation. These are so obvious. First of all, God's Word, it creates... I mean, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, right? Then God says, let there be... 
right? Let there be. And it, God is, God's word is powerful in and of itself. There's something happening. I mean, I, I, I don't have to give power to God's word. You know that. I mean, I used to think when I was young, you know, a teacher and pastor and shepherd, and I used to think I had to make, I have to make it relevant. I have to make it creative. I have to make it, you know, I have to make it, I have to help God out. Right? God's word is powerful. It is powerful, even just by reading it. Many people are converted just by reading the word of God. Book of Romans, for me, book of John was significant in my life. I was saved, I came back, I was away from the Lord, I came back, and I was reading the book of John, and something happened as I was reading the gospel of John. I mean, something, like, he made me born again. He, he, he did something in my spirit, I felt it. It was something, like, it was just, it was, the, because I was just reading gospel of John. That's why, like in, um, look what Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55. And this is a, a famous verse, but it's, it's so relevant to this point of the effect of God's word and the power of God's word. Like Isaiah 55, 11, or 10 and 11, um, Verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from earth and do not re- re- return there without watering the earth and make it, or make it, making it bare and sprout and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so my word which be which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what, it, what pleases me and without succeeding in the matter for which I send. God's word is effective because it's God's word, Right? If I go and I say, light be, nothing's going to happen unless somebody turns on the switch. But when God speaks something, things happen. That's why some people, weird church teaching or some church teach, they say, well, you can speak things into existence. Be careful of that because you're not God. You can, but you can say, hey, here's a promise from God. God, I'm going to take you on your word and I'm going to pray this. Say, Lord, let it be according to your word. Now, you're using, now the word of God is the, the agent. But if you're like, I speak this reality to existence. You got to be very careful because you're not God and no one has to listen to you. So there's a difference. See how subtle that is? But if you say, Lord, your word says this, I'm going to claim this, I'm going to believe this, I'm going to pray this. That's why it's effective to pray the Psalms, pray the scripture. Why? Because now you're declaring to God what he already knows and you're praying his word. The subtlety is my word will make it done versus God's word will make it done. You're not God. You're not little gods. So if it creates the second point, the second benefit of the word of where God is it gives life. Now go to Ezekiel 37. You're already in Isaiah, so just go to your right. Just a couple books. Ezekiel 37. This is cool. And you know, this whole sermon, you can do it like 18, 20, 30 weeks on just the power of God's word, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to do one sermon. <clears throat> Isaiah 37. Ezekiel 37. I'm sorry. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me 
And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and caused me to rest in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. If it's full of bones, what does that mean? Death, right? Full of bones. And he caused me to pass around them all, and behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry, which they had been, been, they had been very dead, right? And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, okay, that's not a trick question. So, <laughs> oh, Lord, you know. <laughs> <laughs> then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. I mean, speak to these bones, Ezekiel, and say to them. Now, he's doing this in response to he's obeying God's commandment to do this, right? He's not going this on, this is God telling him, do this. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear, hear what? The word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones. Remember in the Old Testament, the prophet, when the prophet spoke, it was the word of God. In the Old Testament, there, and many of the words the prophet spoke aren't recorded in the Old Testament. But let's just say Ezekiel is one of them who is recorded. So when he's speaking, he's declaring, thus says the Lord, that means God's now speaking. Okay, So this is God speaking. Thus says the Lord, to these dry bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you. Are those ligaments? Is that what sinews are? Or are they like a tendon? I will put sinews on you. I knew that. Make flesh come upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I commanded. Good obedient, Ezekiel. And as I prophesied, so as I'm declaring the word of the Lord, what's happening? There was a noise, and behold, a rumbling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh came upon them, and skin covered them, and there was, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord Yahweh, come from the fourth, four winds, O breath, and breathe on these who were killed, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. They came to life, stood on their feet, an exceedingly great military force. Said a man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope has been perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy to them, thus says the Lord Yahweh, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves, my people, and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come out of the graves, my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your land then you will know that I, the Lord Yahweh, have spoken and done it. Here's my point. It brought life to something that was so dead. It says they were very dry, these bones. And by the declaration of the word of God, the word of God being proclaimed and heard, it was things happened. Life happened. It wasn't Ezekiel's word. It wasn't man's word. It was God speaking and life happened. That's why when, the, when, you, when the, the pastor preaches the gospel and declares the word, the Holy Spirit does something in the spiritual realm through the word of God to bring life. Or to, I can't imagine the scene, what that was like for Ezekiel to all of a sudden see these bones come together and then bodies and then when. How do you make sense of that? But that's God, right? 
That's why Jesus was able to say, Lazarus, come forth. The power of his word to give life. Ears, be opened to, to the deaf person, right? I love what, um, I love what Martin, Luther, Martin Luther said in, uh, the, you know, about the, the Reformation and what God was doing through that. And of course, he didn't seek to try to start, you know, he wanted to reform the, church, the, whole, the, the, the Catholic Church from within, but God obviously had other ideas. And here's what Martin Luther said about his accomplishments. He said, I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. I simply preached, taught, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. The word did it all. And here, this is a man who wrote volumes of works. And he would teach, like at 5 a.m., he would teach from the epistles and in the afternoon from the gospels and that night made from the Old Testament. He was daily sometimes, you know. He goes, I just taught it, preached it, wrote God's word. Otherwise, they did nothing. The word did it all. God's word did it all. God's word doesn't need help, does it? Let me give you one more, and then we'll finish for today, okay? One more benefit of God's word. Teaching and living your life in God's word is, first of all, it creates, secondly, it gives life. Thirdly, it brings stability to life. Now, this is, this is practical stuff, right? This is, uh, this is, uh, when your life is built on, on the word of God, there's stability there because it's founded on a good foundation. So let's go to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. You guys know someone, but let's go to Psalm 1, point something out here. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord, the word of God, basically, right? And in his law, in his word, he meditates day and night. So he's delighting in the word. He's thinking about the word. He's meditating on the word. It's, it's now affecting his thinking, right? It's, it's, it's affecting how he's, he's, he's thinking and believing. And look at the result. Here's the result. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. That's a tree that is like strong, right? Firmly planted by streams of water. It's fruitful. It yields its fruit in a season. It won't wither. And whatever he does prospers. The psalmist contrasts that person who lives their life with the word of God being central with the one who's not, who's scoffing, who doesn't listen to it. Watch. The wicked are not so. They're like what? Okay. There's no stability in chaff, is there? The wind drives it away. Go to, um, go, to, go, to, go to Matthew 7, and we'll finish with this, okay? Matthew 7. You guys, you guys good? Okay. Matthew 7. Jesus has just, he's just finishing up, uh, verse, we're in verse 24. Uh, finishing up the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, verse 24 of Matthew 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, by the way, Jesus' words are equivalent with the Word of God, so we know that. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the rivers came, and the winds blew, and fell against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Let me just say something, okay? Can I just say something? Of course I can. Many times, and nowadays, the gospel is presented as this. If you accept Christ, your life will be hunky-dory and never have any problems. Okay? Your life will be easy. It'll be like... um, it's that one video we watched about a worship song where at the end of the song, everything is all your, everything at the end of the episode is everything is okay at, by the end of the episode, right? The reality of this, here's the, this is young people especially, okay? Those who are watching, you guys near and top, listen. Jesus said this, if you follow me, the world's going to hate you and you're going to have problems, if you follow me, it means picking up your cross and being hated, disliked, rejected by your peers, by those around you. You're going to have problems in this life. I talked to somebody yesterday. Um, I won't say who it was, but um, their son, I think it's their son, they were having issues because they had heard the understanding. I was like, oh, you know, if you follow Jesus, then there'll be no problems. Your life will be protected from problems. And this, this young man said to his mom, Mom, that's not true. God doesn't always answer all my prayers the way I want him to, and he doesn't always prevent things from happening, right? I mean, you're talking about the early disciples. All of them were, were put to death except for John. Okay, in this life, this world hates you because it hates me? Expect to face problems. Expect the winds, the wanes, the rains, the storm. Right? It's going to come. And God's not always going to do your life the way you want Him to do. And you're going to have to wrestle with that because that's going to challenge your faith because I'm just telling you, those of us who have been walking the Lord, hey, well, Lord, I've, I've given to your ministry, I've given to church, I've served, I've done all these things, so that means you should pay me back by not giving me problems. And God says, no. I need to strip all that. That's idol. It's idolatry. That's that's like, hey God, I'll give to you if you give back to me. And now we're on this partnership. And God says, I am the Lord your God. You're my servant. You'll no matter what. Even Paul is presented with the thorn in the flesh. He goes, God, take it away. And Jesus says, No, actually, my grace is sufficient. And Paul says, Okay, Lord. And I can't understand why God He allows things and He allows He does that. The point is. The winds and the, the storms will come. Now, are you going to stand or fall? How are you going to stand? You're founded on the Word of God. Okay? So Jesus says, all that came, and yet it did not fall, because it was founded on the rock. It was founded on the rock. We have, there's Christians around the world who are being persecuted, and God forbid, I pray that we never have to experience, you know, Harsh things, but let it be though that we are faithful to God, and maybe, maybe, maybe sometimes those, you know, there's times you know how it is, times of great distress that force you to your knees to say, God, please help me now. You know, life is going great, but then when life doesn't happen great, then you're you're like, Lord, <laughs> I need your help, right? You know how it is when you've gone through trials and you've been desperate. Because, that's a good thing, right? It's purified your life. But anyway. Not everyone, and so verse 26, and everyone who hearing these words of mine and not doing them 
may be compared to a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. What's his point? You hear God's word and do something. If your life is built, not just hearing God's word, but obeying it, living it, you're going to have winds and rains and storm and other kind of things. But if you, if you are, if you, if God's word now is in your life, and you take it seriously, you're, you might get, you know, the house might get pelted, but it's still going to stand. But if your life is not built on the word of God, then you'll just leave. You'll skip. Well, you'll leave the faith. You'll say, God doesn't, Jesus doesn't work. It's not, it's, not, it's not practical. It doesn't work. Really? Because you're not, living, you're not living on truth. You're living on a lie. Amen? Well, I'm going to continue this next week because there's more points I want to make. But let me, uh, let me just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray, first of all, that you would grant, if, and I'm assuming this is true, but I pray that you would grant each person here watching online, whoever's hearing this message, a love for your word, a hunger for your word. I mean, your word, Lord, reveals who you are, for one thing. It reveals your nature, your character, your love, but it also reveals who we are, it reveals your gospel, your plan. It's your word, God. Let it be that we are people so in love with you that we want to hear from you through your word. You speak through your word, Lord. And let it be that we are people that doesn't just give the Word of God a, a token acknowledgement, Lord, but our very lives are directed by your Word and by your Holy Spirit who gives us understanding of your Word. I pray, Lord, especially for our young people. Give them a hunger for you, Lord, and your Word. Lord, help me uh, as a shepherd here to accurately and faithful teach your, faithfully teach your word. And thank you for the work that you're doing through your word and through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand up? And I, went, I know I went a few minutes long, but I just had to uh, get that out and sure. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Amen. Well, we quote. I quote the book, uh, the the verse from Numbers, the ironic blessing. That's the word of God, <laughs> and it was powerful back then when Aaron spoke it to the people. It's powerful today. And he said, "Bless my people." These words: May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week. We'll see the guys on Saturday and the ladies on Saturday as well. Bring your Bibles.